When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus yeah all right the band has gone to school now all grown up the pot of yorkshire has been drunk i'm going to take a deep dive into the decade that we haphazardly label the noughties the 2000s and to the football of the 2000s this is of course wednesday this is the Naughty's Nostalgia Podcast. This is episode 52. And on today's show, we're going to be looking at your suggestions for the best UEFA Champions League match ever. We've got some thrillers in there. We've got a lot of English representation, a couple of finals in there. And a couple of my favourites thrown in. And you know I'm going to be biased and throwing a couple of Man United games. But uh, that's just life, isn't it, really? So we'll... Uh, get stuck in and if you're listening to if you're liking any of these podcasts that we are doing we are doing some more bonus podcasts on patreon that's patreon.com forward slash what if football where we've got contemporary podcasts as well as nostalgic podcasts like these head-to-head great games so for example we covered manchester united 3 barcelona 3 from 1998 which does get included it's part of my short list at the end of this episode so let's get stuck straight in welcome and we start with an absolute classic and the most suggested most suggested game of course goes to just a night in turkey in 2005 in late mayish you may remember it liverpool 3 ac milan 3 thank you to joe chris kelly dean pope and harry holland for all nominating this game of course the 2005 champions league final Quite rightly, the most suggested match ever, and I can even say that from a Man United fan point of view. And not only did Liverpool come down from 3-0 to win the game, but look at the players of both teams. Liverpool's squad was vastly inferior. Milan's squad was probably the best of its time, and that's even compared to the Galacticos of Real Madrid, because even in with Real Madrid's teams, you don't have the structure that a AC Milan team did here. You've got Yapstam and Paolo Maldini, for example, at the back. Dida in net. The diamond midfield was just superb. You've got Andrea Perlo at the base. Gennaro Gattuso and Clarence Seedorf running either side of him, of course. 
the best player in the world at the time, probably outside of Ronaldinho, in Kaká in the 10 role with Crespo and Andrei Shevchenko up front, which aren't bad options up front, are they really? And Carlo Ancelotti had used the majority of this squad to win the 2003 Champions League campaign. Ancelotti there finally establishing himself as the one of the better Italian managers, one of the better European managers. And here they were firm favourites to, to win the Champions League again. They'd won that title against Juventus two years prior, come up against probably an inferior team to Juventus here in, uh, in Liverpool. They would get off the mark, of course, with the earliest Champions League final goal from Paolo Maldini. Crespo would chuck in a superb chip in there to make it 3-0 and Liverpool were down and out. It could have been a cricket score by the end of it if things hadn't changed and of course Rafa Benitez, new manager at the time at Liverpool, had to ring the changes out at half-time. Didi Haman came on to shore up the midfield alongside Xabi Alonso and then this released Steven Gerrard and what happens when you release a hometown boy like Steven Gerrard with the ability that Steven Gerrard has? Six minutes it took for Liverpool to score three goals and that's what releasing Steven Gerrard did on that game. Obviously the captain's header to get things going goes down in the box for the third goal. Obviously Vladimir Smith scores in between that as well. And another hero on the night really was the man in net playing his final game for Liverpool. Of course it could have been Steven Gerrard's final game for Liverpool after he was being well caught by Chelsea, he was on the verge of going to Chelsea. You may remember my very first video on this uh, on this endeavour was what if Steven Gerrard signed for Chelsea, which is one of the biggest ones in English football, I think. But let's not forget Jersey Dudek here, his final game at Liverpool. Obviously, Pepe Reina would come in, usurp him as the number one. He made an incredible, incredible double save in extra time and where I'm still don't know how um, that went in. The only example I can think of, most recent example, is David De Gea against Wolves, most recently in the Premier League this year. Now that obviously pales into comparison with the the grand stage that this match was played on. The extra time, 3-3 Champions League final, that was just a throwaway Premier League game really, wasn't it? And of course he would become the hero in the shootout, saving from Shevchenko to win the shootout. And this could go down as the greatest blank for so many reasons, greatest comeback, greatest final, greatest game ever, greatest Liverpool game, certainly, um, and it's just one of the one of the all-time best, and going from another classic Manchester uh, match, Liverpool Champions League match to a classic Manchester United Champions League match, Juventus 2, Manchester United 3, Chris Kelly and Dean Pope suggested this one, Dean says to come back the way they did and Keane's performance was just legendary and I think to contextualise this to make it even grander than what it appears with a scoreline there, we need to discuss Juventus in the 90s. Got to the UEFA Cup final in 95, admittedly in a losing effort to Parma, but then they won the second Champions League the year after in 96, beating Ajax on penalties, who were in turn holders of the trophy, and should have retained the trophy in 97, but lost to Dortmund and were looking to become the first team since Real Madrid to appear in four Champions League finals in a row, of course, after losing to that same team, Real Madrid, in the 1998 final. Again, a star-studded outfit. You've got the captain, Antonio Conte. You've got Pippo Inzaghi up front, Didier Deschamps, Edgar David, Zinedine Zidane. One of the all-time best midfields, an incredible midfield. And this is without Alessandro Del Piero, who would be ruled out long-term through injury. Now, flip the coin, Man United had eliminated Italian opposition the round prior. And, of course, if you listen to the Great Games podcast, the... If you're subscribed to our Patreon page, you will have listened to me discuss Man United's history in the Champions League 
in the 90s and if you need any history on that go check that out um, but in this particular season United eliminated Italian opposition the round prior in Inter Milan Inter Milan couldn't get an away goal although Diego Simeone found the net but it would be ruled out for handball and this time Juventus not only scored an away goal but led at Old Trafford and United only just escaped with a draw Ryan Giggs scoring in their stoppage time thunderous volley that one was and it meant in all likelihood really that for United they needed to win away from home and under Ferguson in the European Cup in the Champions League they'd never beaten a top top team away from home they'd beaten Juventus at home before in the 96-97 season they'd beaten into Milan before but they'd never done it away from home and that was obviously Ferguson's dream they'd gone to the likes of Barcelona and Bayern Munich earlier on in the year into Milan but all those games were draws ultimately all those games progressed them and a draw, a 2-2 draw higher would progress them here two Inzaghi goals in the first 12-13 minutes ensured it wasn't looking likely for United here Paul Scholes comes off the bench gets a yellow card Roy Keane gets a yellow card they're out of the final doesn't look like they're going to the final but then of course Roy Keane happened, like Stephen Gerrard's calls his captain's header to get things going, or captain's goals, Clive Tilsley calls it. Beckham York, as it did with Inter Milan, killing them in the first leg of the quarterfinal, killed Juventus to an extent here with the with the draw being almost assured. Dennis Owen hit the post a couple of times and United were looking the, the better team and for the first time in Alex Ferguson's reign, be a top top team in the European Cup of course Andy Cole sealing it late and they would go full speed ahead Barcelona of course in Barcelona in my personal favourite final in the Champions League beat by Munich treble the greatest achievement by any British team English team at least Celtic in 67 did it as well didn't they win the treble but uh, won the quadruple in fact but this in 99 was just First season I'd been man- been supporting uh, Manchester United as well. What an introduction to football it was. Now straying away from English representation, away from Man United, away from Liverpool, FT Law podcast suggests Borussia Dortmund against Real Madrid from the 2013 semi-finals, aka the one that announced Robert Lewandowski on the world stage. So Barcelona had crumbled to German opposition the night prior in Bayern Munich. There, Bayern Munich still wanting to. Uh, win that Champions League that was that eluded them in the year prior at home to Chelsea. Meanwhile, Dortmund, really kind of new to this sort of thing. Jurgen Klopp, the manager, they'd won the league twice in a row. They'd won a, a Bundesliga and Pokal double as well under Jurgen Klopp. But they'd never got to this stage. They'd not done it since 1997, of course, when they beat Juventus. And here we have Robert Lewandowski striking four goals on his own for Dortmund against Real Madrid. This is the sort of thing that Cristiano Ronaldo would do in a couple of years' time. He wasn't quite doing it with such regularity, for Real Madrid at least, in this time as Real was sort of trying to... Obviously, the Ledesma would come the year after. They'd been waiting 12 years for a 10th Champions League title. Meanwhile, Dortmund snuck in here, bagged four goals, taking a 4-1 lead to the Bernabeu. Dortmund around this time were always my team on FIFA additions this time around the time I stopped playing it but Dortmund were always the team because you can't play with Real Madrid Bayern Munich around this time because they were just too good so I kind of knew Lewandowski's virtual character as a footballer but here he kind of announced himself in fully fleshed fully fleshed out mode and obviously Dortmund would go to the final hanging on just about 
conceding two late goals to Real Madrid at the Bernabeu and it would have cost me in the first ever German final in the Champions League and being a German team versus a German team you just know Bayern Munich won of course going back to Manchester United FT Lolo podcast also suggests Manchester United versus Real Madrid from 2003 Dean Pope also suggests it saying that it's one of the greatest individual performances ever Ronaldo's hat-trick of course this is the original R9 and for me, this was the final, effectively. This is the team that should have won the Champions League this season, Real Madrid. Ronaldo had joined Zinedine Zidane after a superb World Cup where he won it, won the Golden Boot, etc, etc. Luis Figo was in there as well and these were this was the Galacticos. This is the original iteration with Fernando Hierro, Roberto Carlos, Ica Casillas, etc, etc. They were the holders of the European Cup, of course, and beat Manchester United in the first leg 3-1 at the Bernabeu. This was this second leg came after the David Beckham boot incident where Alex Ferguson kicked the boot at David Beckham and by this point the fly was in the ointment here is heavily rumoured to be leaving and the only club he could really go to at this time. Who signs celebrity footballers? Real Madrid and of course Beckham was always gonna go, wasn't he? Um as I said, this was this should have been the final in an ideal world. Even Pierre Luigi Colina was the referee, so the, the referee who couldn't obviously referee the game in the final because it, it was Italian teams involved in the end, Real Madrid not making it, and so he wasn't allowed to referee that game. He got, got to referee the de facto final, the, and the final was at Old Trafford as well, so neither would be there, though Real Madrid got beat by Juventus. Manchester United knocked out by Real Madrid here, and this was simply Ronaldo's game, wasn't it? The pick of the three goals he scored was a thunderbolt from 25 yards, and by that point, I was, as a young Man United fan, roughly 10 years, I'd just turned 10, it was just like, hold your hands up and just take what your, uh, what your punishment is here. Um, Ruben Anislova scored, Ivan Helguera put through his own net to keep the game interesting, and David Beckham would come on and score two goals uh, when four goals were needed. A fantastic free kick involved there, and Despite get knocking Manchester United out of the game, Ronaldo gets applauded off the pitch when he's substituted and that was pretty much the mark of one superb performance really. I know Cristiano Ronaldo got applauded at Old Trafford but that was a returning legend of it, talking about in the 2013 last 16 game for Real Madrid again as well. Um, but this was purely off the basis of one performance where he just tore Man United to shreds. Also see 2000 where Fernando Redondo and Raul converged on another fantastic performance and a Real Madrid team that actually won that match 3-2 after 0-0 in uh, in Spain, a time when Man United were the holders then, but uh, regardless. We move on to a bit more of a, a bit more of a recent suggestion, one I rewatched this morning because of how dramatic it was. This was suggested by Four Manx, One Toffee podcast and Matty McDonald. Uh, Manchester City 4, Tottenham Hotspur 3 and what a cluster this was. Spurs led 1-0 from the first leg, fair enough, um, going to the Etihad and to say the first half was a mess is an understatement. Raheem Sterling's goal gets us off underway 4 minutes in, might have made it sticky for Spurs because you got 1-1 one, one now would be going to extra time, obviously that got dispelled quite quickly, Son Heung-Ming scoring two absolute crackers and Bernardo Silva and Raheem Sterling were bad goals 2-3 and three for City. Spurs still ahead on away goals, it's, you know, obviously Son Heung-Ming's goals top their tally up and this could be telling the whole story but 21 minutes have passed and it's 3-2. This was, for me this was the sort of the epitome or nadir depending on uh, how you look at football 
um, of Champions League football of the 2010s where it had gone ultra-attacking. There was no defending, really. This was probably because of high-pressing, high-defensive lines that sort of schools of thought of football from Germany, from Spain had brought about compared to the the influential defensive football of the two, 90s and 2000s, which mainly... Rem- which remained prominent really in the European game and in most of the leagues throughout Europe. But obviously we're going through a bit of a time here in the 2010s. Even Atletico Madrid, who notoriously defensive, would be involved in these classics against Real Madrid and more recently against Liverpool in 2020. So we get to the second half. Aguero puts City ahead for the first time in the tie. Uh, making it 4-2 on the night, 4-3 on aggregate. And then Fernando Llorente scores a pretty shady looking goal. You're there on VAR looking for an absolute age. Was it handball, wasn't it? VAR checked it for a long, long time. He looked to graze his arm and then go onto his hip. But the referee uh, gave a goal and VAR presumably just thought, let's add, add a little bit of spice to proceedings, giving the goal, making it 4-3 on the night, 4-4 on aggregate, putting Spurs through. Um... But the drama wasn't over yet, despite obviously that being the final score, because Raheem Sterling scores his hat-trick goal in 93 minutes, 5-3. Man City finally making a first semi-final under Pep Guardiola. They'd, of course, made a semi-final under Pellegrini three years prior, but this was when they actually believed they could win it. And 2019, with Ajax, with Liverpool, City could have easily, quite easily won that Champions League then. But... People who say VAR doesn't add excitement or drama. Of course, never saw this game. And in terms of excitement, drama, this game is definitely up there for me. Raheem Stone's goal disallowed the pictures of Pochettino going mad and conversely Pep Guardiola sinking to his knees, ripping his jacket off in a rage. And obviously the deathly silence of the Etihad, not too dissimilar to normally, but befalling the proceedings in front of it. It was fantastic. Um, as a Man United fan quite funny anyway but even if it was two random teams let's call it Juventus versus Atletico Madrid this would still be still be as enthralling as it was despite containing two English teams there and another enthralling encounter containing two English teams Chelsea 4 Liverpool 4 from 2009 suggested by Matty Mac and George Spencer George Spencer a valued Patreon at patreon.com forward slash what if football so thank you George So, in 2005, Liverpool eliminated Chelsea from the Champions League. In 2007, Liverpool eliminated Chelsea from the Champions League. In 2008, Chelsea eliminated Liverpool from the Champions League. All of these semi-finals. So, the last of which um, is also nominated by George Spencer, a 3-2 win for Chelsea in that semi-final. But we go forward to the quarter-final in 2009. The winner would play Barcelona. Chelsea had finally won at Anfield under the lights in the first leg. Branislav Ivanovic coming up with two goals. This was around the time when it was a bit of a goal machine, wasn't it? And Liverpool at Stamford Bridge needed three goals. Chelsea very rarely conceded three goals around this time, even in Avram Grant's day. And Liverpool get two within half an hour. So then you've got Didier Drogba pulling one back. You've got, which doesn't really do much to proceedings because another goal for Liverpool takes it to extra time, which we all wanted from this game, really, because it was a, a superb game of football. Then you've got Alex's blockbuster. Alex, the defender there. And the carnage continues. Frank Lampard completing a, a turnaround on the night to make it 3-2. And seemingly, obviously, Liverpool had to be out now. But it was a bit like the ending of Carry, 
where um, if you've not seen it, spoiler, Liverpool pop up from the grave with two late goals, but Lampard's second kills them off. The uh, the main character realises they're in a dream. Uh, 7-5 on aggregate Chelsea win, and of course, even more cruelly get knocked out in the semi-finals by Barcelona, courtesy of that Andres Iniesta. Late goal, which was phenomenal, really. Phenomenal game. So we'll go to a couple of suggestions from 2003-04 season, which all quarterfinals, quarterfinals of this tournament was really changed the way this tournament ended up and the future of, short-term future of English football, really, considering the winner and the manager who won it. So we've got Mags and Chris Kelly, both suggesting Deportivo 4, AC Milan nil. Mags saying he's got a soft spot for when Deportivo bitch slapped them 4-0. And talking about comebacks, this might just be the best of the lot. Walter Pandiani had scored for Deportivo in the first leg, but they collapsed um, three goals inside four minutes either side of the half. Milan would win 4-1, so Deportivo at this stage, they weren't at the height that they would be the couple of years prior, obviously winning the Liga in 2000, getting to the quarterfinals a couple of times, beating Manchester United a couple of times as well, but they'd never reached the semi-finals, and this ultimately would prove to be their final stab at the Champions League knockouts, really. And 2004, as you'll see with our next two entries as well, next two uh, suggestions, it, the Champions League was a lottery this year as we changed from two group stages to one group stage in the last 16 knockout, which makes the competition far, far more better. This is like peak Champions League format, really, this. And uh, Milan were the holders and the two favourites had crashed out the previous night, which we'll get onto in a minute. Depor's remit was uh, get three goals, qualify for the semi-finals. Pandiani, Valeron, Abeluque got those goals in the first half and just proved that Deportivo were no pushovers. Fran added a fourth and without further ado, the two favourites, Real Madrid, the first one, losing to Monaco, which is another suggestion by Podfather Max. He suggests that the best is probably best game ever is probably when Monaco came from behind to dump Real Madrid out of the tournament with Fernando Morientes destroying his parent club, akin to a bit like um, for Felipe Coutinho in 2020, which we'll get onto in a second. So Real Madrid, like Milan, had gone behind in their first leg, but ultimately dragged it back to 4-1. But Fernando Morientes, still employed by Real Madrid, but on loan to Monaco, scrapes back a second, and now this is crucial because the winning. The win is um, formulated by a, an away goal. So in Monaco, second leg, Raul gets the opener, meaning Monaco need three, just like Deportivo did. Deportivo's comeback probably gets more publicity because they beat the holders. They scored four without reply. But Ludovic Juli, Fernando Morientes, either side of the half, get two goals in three minutes, and Ludovic Juli gets a winning goal. So 5-5 five, five draw, away goals. Morientes got the away goal in Spain. He also got two of the five goals that eliminated Real Madrid. So that is one hell of a kick in the teeth and he wouldn't last too much longer for Real Madrid there, unsurprisingly. And the final quarterfinal that we're discussing from 2004, another favourite, missing out here, suggested by Harry Holland, Arsenal versus Chelsea. The other favourite's Arsenal here in this time because, of course, 2004, they're on an invincible streak. They're on for the treble. And in the first leg, Robert Pires bagged a valuable away goal at the freshly minted Chelsea at the freshly first season under the ownership of Roman Abramovich that they draw 1-1 and then Arsenal's treble bid sort of collapses across three days. They would lose it at Villa Park, losing to Manchester United in the FA Cup semi-final. Bit of a throwback from 99 there. So Man United winning the treble that year at Villa Park courtesy that FA Cup semi-final against Arsenal. But here, 
stopping a treble of another team. And then back at home, despite Jose Antonio Reyes putting them ahead in the second leg, Frank Lampard levelled it up. It was going to extra time. I vividly remember watching this in my room, ITV, excited for extra time, excited to stay up a little bit longer until Wayne Bridge sneaks the winner in three minutes till the end of time. And of course, it's been a Claudio Ranieri Chelsea team that would fall at almost the final hurdle. And this varied semi-final lineup would include Deportivo, Monaco, Chelsea, none of which had got to a final before. All shocks, all contenders for one of the greatest games in the Champions League history. And obviously the fourth team would be Porto. Porto would eventually win it. Chelsea would steal their manager and the rest is history. And arguably Mourinho's first proper huge game, like world-stopping game, as Chelsea manager would be our next suggestion, suggested by Harry Holland and George Spencer. Chelsea versus Barcelona in 2005. So a 1-0 loss for Chelsea at the new Camp meant that Chelsea needed a win back at the bridge. I've got huge memories of Damien Duff rampaging through on goal in one of the first wave of Chelsea new signs when they got money. Chelsea going to 3-0 ahead inside 19 minutes. Ronaldinho would bag a penalty before, of course, scoring that goal, which... When you say Chelsea-Barcelona 2005, maybe show them a picture from the game. The first memory would be the toe poke from the edge of the area. Some people say it's overrated, but it's just fantastic. A toe poke shouldn't devalue a goal, especially a goal of that magnitude. And it would have got Barcelona through, but what often gets lost in my mind, probably forgotten by a lot of people, that when they see that goal, they might think of the glorious Barcelona team from the year after. But actually... Chelsea won this because they had to win this because in the semi-final they would lose to Liverpool, the goal from the moon. Uh, John Terry netting the winning goal there as Chelsea beat Barcelona and move on. But ultimately at Mourinho's first season he wouldn't win the Champions League back-to-back with different clubs. They would win the Champions League, however, in 2012 and our first suggestion from this season. Got two here, both from George Spencer, big Chelsea fan. A lot of Chelsea suggestions in here because of that. Um, is Barcelona 2 Chelsea 2 semi-final and to a UK audience if I have to ask you to pick a moment from this second leg it likely wouldn't be on the pitch it would likely come from the gantry it would likely come from Gary Neville's commentary so Chelsea squeak through the last 16 in our next suggestion they beat Benfica in the quarterfinals as they would the following season in the Europa League final of course and here in the first leg at the bridge, they met a misfiring Lionel Messi who would never really have a good time of it against Chelsea, really. Vivid, vividly remember watching that first leg in a pub, uh, Didier Drogba scoring the winner in that one. But by no means it was wrapped up for Chelsea, especially back at the new Camp. Barcelona were heavy favourites. They'd won two of the last three Champions League holders, hoping to retain huge favourites. And... Even more so when John Terry gets sent off immediately after Sergio Busquets' opener. Now we get to see Chelsea's resolve after a second second centre-half. Gary Cahill is subbed off as well. Branislav Ivanovic, the the main man in that centre-half position for Chelsea, gets a yellow card and he's suspended for the final for half of the game. And this is after Andres Iniesta scores a second goal. So Barcelona ahead on aggregate and everything is pointing towards Barcelona winning the tie, even after... Ramirez scoring that chip and Chelsea are in no means in great shakes in this in this time period and domestically anyway fifth or sixth best team in the Premier League Andre Villas-Boas was out for Roberto Di Matteo and this second half after the Ramirez goal Chelsea are still they're ahead on away goals but the my thinking was watching it at former girlfriend's house and his, her dad cheering on Chelsea despite being a 
Huddersfield Town fan, I think, um, had all the hallmarks of a Jose Mourinho second half. Mourinho had reduced Barca to a loss two years prior that helped Inter Milan through, and they would win that tournament, of course, and with 10 men too. So did Di Matteo in 2012, except this was capped off in stoppage time for Chelsea with Barcelona pushing for that extra goal. Fernando Torres sent clean through, didn't have a great time at Chelsea, of course, but scores perhaps one of the most important Chelsea goals in history because without that, you don't get the final, you don't get the first Champions League, perhaps you don't get the second Champions League either. And this second, of course, is uh, soundtracked by Gary, <laughs> Gary Neville's goalgasm. Chelsea go through. And to get to this point, we have to go to perhaps a turning point in Chelsea's season to a pulsating last 16 tie. And that is, of course, Chelsea 4, Napoli 1 from 2012. Again, suggested by George Spencer. So Napoli, around this time, I said, I picked Borussia Dortmund on FIFA's around the early 2010s. Napoli again, right up there as well. Lorenzo Insigne, Ezekiel Lovetsy, and of course, Edinson Cavani. One hell of a front three. Probably one of the more exciting non-elite teams of this early part of the decade. The latter two of that front three combined for three goals in Naples with Juan Mata, Chelsea's player of the year in his debut season, no less, grabbing the away goal and that would, of course, become crucial when you get to the second leg. So Didier Drogba and John Terry get the goals needed for Chelsea to go through to put them 2-0 up. And it looked like it might they might be out of trouble, might be. Plain, plain sailing for Chelsea, really, but Gokan Inle pulls one back and it left Chelsea hanging by a thread again. And you just never really, recently just sacked the manager and brought in former club legend Di Matteo and you never really truly were confident that they'd get through this. Napoli were almost favourites around this stage and were battling for Serie A titles whilst Chelsea were languishing, trying to get into the top four. But they would get that third and... Another Chelsea legend, the third of those huge Chelsea legends, Frank Lampard, gets the goal. And it took this takes the game into another sphere for me. It's not often you get Champions League games that go to extra time. And this, for me, definitely spices things up. Branislav Ivanovic scores the winner in 100 plus minutes. And from this game, really, especially with Benfica to come in the quarterfinals, you start to wonder, well, at least I did, whether, the, whether or not this was Chelsea's year. And ultimately it would prove to be Didier Drogba equalising in the final in Munich against Bayern in the final and, of course, signed off his first spell at the club with a fantastic penalty, uh, which brought about Chelsea's Chelsea's first Champions League, a Champions League that would be repeated nine years later. Another suggestion from George Spencer, uh, Chelsea beating Man City 1-0 in, in this year's final. I can't really abide this because it's not a great game. It's just obviously a favourite of George's there, obviously, of course because my favourites are two of the Manchester United Champions League final wins that I was around to see, and I can't quite clearly abide um, portraying this as one of the greatest games of Champions League history, but it does have hallmarks of the 2012 season, a manager coming in halfway through. Of course, Tuchel is of a higher calibre than what Di Matteo was and proved to be in the end. And now, as a result, Chelsea are now one of the favourites this season to retain it, to win the Premier League. But Chelsea, on the other hand, they became the only Champions League winner to not make it out of the first group stage, since obviously that format has been introduced and would, of course, as I stated earlier, win the Europa League in 2013. So, to end off today's episode, we've got a couple of 
well, a few of my suggestions. Anyway, and I've started off with the uh, 99 final Man United versus Bayern Munich, my personal favourite, of course, because it has to be. It was one of my, it was the first Champions League final I'd, I'd ever watched. Of course, my team was in it as well. It's fantastic. Uh, a couple of Man United 3, Barcelona 3 games from that season's group stages. Man United 7, Roma 1 from the 2007 quarterfinal, one of the great thrashings in European history. But let's go to um, non-Manchester United matches, shall we? We've got the 8-2, can't believe nobody said it, 2020 quarterfinal, one of the wildest matches ever by Munich. Absolutely destroying Barcelona in that quarterfinal, the good old uh, mini-tournament they had last year to combat Covid, which was superb in so many ways. And of course, the 2019 tournament was fantastic. It was some act to follow, really, because you've got Lucas Moura's hat-trick against uh, Ajax in Amsterdam with Harry Kane injured, so many players missing. And of course, Spurs would win and get through to their first ever final. Of course, the inverse of that was the the night prior when Liverpool came back from 3-0 down to beat Barcelona 4-3 on aggregate in the semi-final. Trent Alexander-Arnold taking the corner quickly, one of the finest Anfield nights ever, of course. Um, Roma beating Barcelona again, another disappointment for Barcelona in the 2018 quarterfinal, purely for for Peter Jury's uh, commentary there, which is fantastic, and seek that out if you've not heard of it somehow. Another one of the greatest games, Barcelona beating Inter Milan on the night, but of course the classic Mourinho display getting them through and ultimately winning the treble, still the only Italian team to do that. You've got, uh, on a brighter note for Barcelona, the comeback against PSG in the last 16 in 2017. Needed three goals with 90 minutes gone. Got those three goals. One of the most ridiculous comebacks ever in any sport. Of course, you've got Monaco's wins against Arsenal and Man City in the last 16 in 2015 and 2017. You've got Cristiano Ronaldo's individual performances in games like the hat-trick against Atletico Madrid for Juventus, the hat-trick against Bayern Munich for Real Madrid in 2017's quarter-final, the hat-trick against Wolfsburg in 2016's quarter-final. One of the all-time great players, the best Champions League player of all time for me, Cristiano Ronaldo, although probably not the best player of all time. Maybe that goes to Lionel Messi, who knows. You've also got Ajax beating Real Madrid. 4-1 in the Bernabeu, which was ridiculous, wasn't it really? Juventus almost doing the same to them the year prior, but of course, that was the night of Gigi Buffon's meltdown, uh, the 3-1 win for Juventus, but not enough as uh, Real Madrid go through that quarterfinal, ultimately go to uh, go to win their 13th Champions League title. And you've also got more recent displays, such as Marcus Llorente scoring the goal against uh, Liverpool Anfield, subsequently named his Dog Anfield. Uh, that, and again, that went to extra time, so another that goes to that extra extra level for me. And of course you've got, in terms of sheer quality, Bayern Munich 2, PSG 3 from the Allianz Arena, 2021's quarter-final, one of the best games of football I've ever seen in my life. In terms of quality, might not have had as much drama as some of them, but still remains quite high, in um, in my mind at least. So next week, we're going to be taking a look at the Noise Nostalgic Podcast at West Ham in the 2000s. I'm going to be taking a look at your suggestions for the most overrated Premier League forwards of all time. Thank you for listening to this episode. We'll be back next week with the Noise Nostalgic Podcast. We'll be back on Friday with another episode of the Barclays where we chat month by month the Premier League from start to well, current day. Whenever we catch up, we're also on YouTube seven days a week now with What Ifs and, of course, 
five days a week content on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash football for just a small, small monthly donation. But until then, see thee. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.